a lot of you have been here a bunch. You've been here for years. Uh, I ate supper tonight with one couple that their first time here was in 2000, and they've been coming ever since. Really good friends and, and like family to us. So, And there's a lot of you here that that is the case, and then a lot of you that I, I look forward to meeting. We don't know you yet, and I'm excited about that. And uh, this, this is a, a big weekend for us in a lot of ways, and... One of the reasons it's so big for us is because we see about 6,000 students come through here in a year. And of those 6,000 students, it is such a small percentage of them that see a biblically functional marriage played out in front of them. I mean, it's a tiny percentage. So the majority of what we deal with in terms of issues, struggles, and I promise you it is, it is unbelievable what, what we get put on our plate. In a, in a given weekend, just on a week, like during the school year, when, when we run student ministry retreats, in a weekend conversation, it's unbelievable the things that, that we kind of come up against or run into. And nine out of ten, if you could get more numbers into ten than nine, um, so maybe 99 out of 100 of those conversations or issues that we run into would would be reparable or would at least not be maybe not even be where they are if if there was a biblical functioning marriage in that family even uh, even if it's a repaired or second marriage if it was just biblically functioning it's amazing how i've seen god honor and bless the the spiritual leadership of a stepfather someone who's serious about shepherding his home so just a biblical I'm, I'm not even talking about we got to go back and redo everything and make it right and be perfect you know but that People would commit to honoring the Lord in their relationship. And whether your kids are grown and raised or you hadn't even started having kids yet. It's amazing to me how if, if men in particular, but if men and women would, would understand the role that they play before the Lord as shepherds. Or I would say under shepherds. And tomorrow morning we'll have the men and women split up. And for one of the sessions we're going to do a, a split session. We're going to talk about you know, biblical responsibility of being a shepherd in your home. But it's, it's like... I've seen God do so much in people's in students' lives as a result of parents and step-parents just making a fresh and real commitment to honor the Lord with their lives. And I, I don't know, I just feel maybe compelled by the Holy Spirit um, to say before we even get into the, into the Word tonight, uh, I, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are here this weekend, and you're not here just to be refreshed. You're here to be resuscitated. I mean, you're, you're struggling. You're, your marriage is hurting and and you're personally maybe individually you're struggling and maybe it's a miracle that god got you here you don't even maybe some of you um don't even know how you got here and why you're sitting here right now and maybe you're even uncomfortable being here at this point and i i would say this that i i believe that in in a short amount of time god can absolutely reverse the direction of your marriage and your life by the power of the gospel but it's by the power of the gospel it's not by the power of self-help. It's not by the power. Listen, you can make commitments after commitments after commitments. And if your commitments aren't wrapped in the covenantal love and commitment of Christ that is central to the gospel, then it won't go anywhere. And Paul tells the Corinthians that the gospel is to those who perish folly or foolishness. Well, marriage is, the, is, is our most definitive physical picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if the gospel is foolishness 
to those that are unbelieving or to those that uh, are of this world, then certainly marriage in the biblical sense is going to be foolishness because it's the gospel. That's what marriage is. The marriage is, uh, marriage is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we've got to get to a point in our lives where we understand that we are engulfed in the covenantal love of Christ and that our relationship to one another is covenantal. We're, we're share this one story with you and, and then we'll be in Genesis chapter two. And, uh, and we're just going to walk through a section of scripture over, over the sessions that I'll be in with you. Um, and I don't even have a stopping point for tonight. We'll see how far we get. And, uh, and then we'll just pick right up there tomorrow. And, and I know we've got three sessions to get it all into, but, uh, we're, so we're laying in the, in, in the, and we, we, my girls have a, a bed and then one of the little pullout beds under it, you know, on wheels, forget what they call that, but, um, trundle. Thank you. Um, so we're all piled into the trundle bed watching my, my kids love, we, we don't have cable, but we do have Netflix and they love to watch this show, some cable TV show. And we watch an episode a night. Usually they're 20 minute episodes. So it must be a half hour program with Marshall, but they, uh, that's just good math if, uh, that I just did. Um, it's North Carolina public school education. That's what it'll do for you. But, uh, but, um, they, we watched this show called Manhunt, and uh, it's like these U.S. Marshals, you know, they just task force. And they, I mean, it's their choice. My six-year-old little girl every night says, Daddy, we get to watch Manhunt after we study James because we're going through the book of James. And so what we do is we're studying James, and then we're drawing parallels because that's, that's what a good pastor does. And uh, so we sit down, you know, we're... And so that night, we, and it's always a little bit tricky with her because a lot of the fugitives are like, you know, sex offenders. And so she's like, what did he do? And I'm like, he beat up a little girl, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, so we want him to go to jail. And she's like, yeah, he's a bad guy. We want him to go to jail and we want him to meet Jesus. And I'm like, oh, that's convicting. Thanks. You know, but yeah, we want him to go to jail and meet Jesus in that order. And uh, so... So, but we're having a conversation and it led into, in, in our verse that night was uh, the last verse of chapter one of James, take care of widows and orphans in their time of need. And, uh, and, and I said, what's a widow? And she says, you know, I said, Laylee, you, you answer, what's a widow? She says, it's a really old lady that doesn't have a husband. And I was like, well, it could be a young lady, you know, it's somebody whose husband's, you know, has died. And she, and, and, she, and so my kids start naming widows and, uh, and, <laughs> Um, and my son says, no, they're, they're not, they're not, she's not a widow. Her husband just left her. And, and she says, don't worry, Tucker, daddy's not going to leave mama. Okay. Now at that point I'm thinking I could cry. I could get emotional. I could get sentimental. But then I thought, no, no, no. Okay. Stop. Pause. We got to talk about covenantal love right here. Because she needs to understand that left to his own fleshly capability of performing the function of husband, shepherd, father, her daddy will absolutely abandon. First time it gets hard or the second time or the 10th time or the 20th time. But if we can understand and then even instill, you know, at that point I'm going, how do we instill this? That the, the big deal is that the love we have in this marriage is covenantal love. I'm going to use that word a lot because it's scriptural. And the word covenant, by the way, you know, we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Word testament doesn't appear in scripture. The word covenant does. It's the same Greek word. Diatheke is the, is the word in the Greek. And so you've got the old covenant and the new covenant. And under the covenantal love of Christ, Jesus prepares a bride for himself and he never abandons her. And that's us. That's the church. If you're a believer, you don't have to worry about ever being abandoned by Christ. You don't have to worry about that. And that's what, then in that, you know, in that teaching moment, I'm going, okay, you need to understand my commitment. And this, this was hard to try to articulate. My commitment to your mom is a covenantal commitment to Christ based on his covenantal commitment to me. And if we don't get that, y'all, if we don't, and we're not going to get it all the way. We're not going to get it all the way, okay? Understand, the, the most solid marriage, the most faithful believer is not going to fully grasp the covenantal love of Christ to the church in terms of how he or she loves his or her spouse. But if we don't understand it, at least in that biblical context, and understand that's what we're striving towards, then our love will not be covenantal. It'll be one of a thousand other things. But it'll be carnal in whatever form that that takes on. It'll be worldly. It'll be, it won't be covenantal and it won't be Christ in me wrapping that relationship in covenant. And so when we go to Genesis 2 and we step back to the first marriage, what I want to do is look at how God set up and orchestrated that first marriage to occur. And we're going we're gonna to work through a few verses tonight ending in the part where it says they were naked and unashamed. Now in North Carolina, it's, you can spell that N-E-C-K-E-D. Um, wherever you're from, they may say naked, but we don't say that here. It's naked. All right. So we're going to get to that part. And, and you know, it's cool because it's in the Bible and we're going to talk about people being naked, but so I'm excited about that. So if you'll turn to, uh, to Genesis chapter two, or you can follow on the screen. Um, and we're going to read, we're going to work through a few verses. I'm probably going to lean hard into my notes because I'm kind of intimidated by this. Well, I've had a good time with the Lord today, and I'm excited about this. But this is stuff. There's, I want to share some things that I've never, I've never really even fully processed in my own life that I'm working through right now. That's really scary. It's not that you've ever mastered anything as a preacher or teacher, but you know what I'm saying when God's still kind of running you through the strainer on something. And now we're going to try to, you know, hopefully encourage you guys with that. So um, I'm excited for what we're going to talk about. So we'll start in verse 18, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Okay, so God starts off, says, it's, it's not good for the man to be alone. All right, now, ladies, you understand that. Um, you don't want to leave your children or your home in the care of your husband for very long. Okay, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. I know for me, that would be disaster. It's not good for man to be alone. Um, uh, we were... Uh, <laughs> My father-in-law, Big Kahuna, was, uh, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but, but me and my wife and our kids and then um, her brother's kids, I think, so there's like those two and our three, there's five kids, and, and we were supposed to keep up with their kids for just a little while until um, he could pick them up. And my wife said, oh, heck no. He's going to go home by himself with these babies. No. Why? Because she knows she wouldn't leave him with me by myself. She ain't going to leave him with him by, because it's not good for man to be alone. Okay? So God looks at the situation. He's created Adam, and he's, and he's already got this plan or this purpose for marriage in place. And he says, I'm going to prepare for him a helper or a wife or spouse that's fit for him. 
And he uses that word helper. He says, I'll make him a helper fit for him. It's really cool. The, uh, the word, for, maybe you might have it in your, uh, yeah, I've got it in my footnotes in my Bible. Um, and some of you may have it where it says a helper fit for him. It says corresponding to him. Corresponding to him. That's really neat, isn't it? Think about that. So in the Hebrew, and I don't know anything about Hebrew other than you use your throat to say all the words. A helper corresponding to him. Because before God ever brings Adam's wife into his life, he knows how they're going to correspond and fit and work together in union. God's got this eternal purpose, at least eternal view of their marriage. So he's going to bring this. I remember when, uh, when I was in the... I think I was in the, I was sixth grade maybe, and my grandmother died. She died in December, and my grandfather, who was a pastor, he remarried in May. And I remember I was, everybody's mad, you know, everybody's freaking out. And, uh, and I always thought that was so weird. And I was talking to uh, a pastor friend of his when my father passed away. A group of, a lot of men who were in ministry came to the church. And I was talking to this one pastor, and I said, I always thought it was weird that, that, you know, my granddad remarried five months. And he said, listen, God's the one who said it's not good for man to be alone. So somewhere in the way that God put the fabric together to build the first man, Adam, there was within him a need or at least a void that God intended to fill with, with Eve. But he did not intend to fill the void that only he could fill with this wife, if that makes sense. So God's not bringing a wife into his life to be, to be what only God can be. He's bringing this wife into his life to come alongside, and it's a helper corresponding to him, corresponding to his gifts, corresponding to his calling, corresponding to his desires, corresponding to his weaknesses, his struggles, his failures. And marriage fails when husbands and wives don't correspond in those areas. But rather than understanding that I strengthen his weaknesses or she strengthens my weaknesses, or instead what we do is we use those to tear apart the union that God has put together. Corresponding to. God's got a purpose for Eve. Brings, him, brings her into Adam's life, and there's to be a fit. There's to be a fit. It says this. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay, so let me, let me set this up for you. Adam is alone and God's created all these animals. And he says, all right, Adam, here's your job. You know, at one point, you know, he's got to name all the animals that he's looking at them going, there's two of those. There's two of those. There's a buck and a doe. There's a bull and a cow. There's, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a Billy and a nanny. There's, and so there's only one of me, you know? And, and, and so there is no, but it's obvious. And this seems humorous, but in all seriousness, it's obvious. There's no helper for him in here. There's no mate for him. He's looking, there's, there is no mate for him because God hasn't prepared his mate for him yet. Let me stop. Let me say this. No matter what terms or conditions you came into this marriage on, you may have even, you may have been out of God's will entering the marriage that you're in tonight. 
But God in his sovereignty in his sovereignty has purpose and plan in covenant for you in this marriage. And he will redeem and reconcile and do a great work in and through your marriage, regardless of how you came into it. Likewise, you may have been totally faithful in coming into this relationship. And the Lord called both of you into this relationship. And you need to understand that the God who called you into the relationship is the God who's going to complete and fulfill the relationship. And so Adam's, you know, he's sitting on a stump. I don't know, you know. I, I, read, I get My brain goes crazy right here because I think I would want to shoot the buck, you know. And so I don't know. I think there was more than one probably, you know. But I, um, I want to get an arrow in that guy, you know. But so he's, he's seeing all this and there's no helper for him and it's very obvious. So then... Um, it says in verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on him. Okay. While he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed it up, closed up the place with his flesh. So Adam goes to sleep. You guys know the story, you know the story. So, but bear with me. He goes to sleep. God puts him. So here's what he does. He goes to sleep in the will of the Lord. God puts him to sleep. He's just in God's will being obedient. God puts him to sleep. Okay. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. He brought her to the man. Now, first, seriously, I try to think about Adam. Never seen another human goes to sleep and wakes up and there's his naked wife. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eve. Thank you for being here. But what happened? Here, here's the thing. God brings her to him. God brings her to him. So this is, and this is amazing because this is God as father. This is in the purest, most deeply spiritual sense of the way of the word. This is God fathering Eve. And then walking his daughter down the aisle and presenting him, presenting her to her husband. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. God said, listen, people, I, I talk to my little girls and people say, what are you going to do when your girls get old enough to date? I'll say, I think the right question is what I'm going to do when my girls get old enough to marry. Because that's our goal. It's our purpose. I remember one time, uh, one of my sisters was giving me a hard time because one of my girls was wearing, wanted to wear dresses all the time. She's three or four years old. I want to raise godly young ladies who understand what it is to be in godly covenantal relationship with a godly man who will shepherd and pastor and lead their home. And, and one of the most exciting conversations that I have with my daughters is talking about marriage and what God has for them one day. And I think one of the greatest honors will be if I have been proven faithful as a father to walk her down the aisle and present her. And some of you have already been there and done that. When I do weddings, Get the opportunity to do a lot of weddings because of the age group that we work with. Do six or seven a year, um, most years. And at, that is a point in the ceremony where I always say, Listen, you need to understand what's happening right here. When this father's given this daughter, when she, he's walked her down this aisle, or the brother who's standing in for the father, or the stepfather, whatever. This is, this is an image of God giving and presenting to Adam his bride. That's fantastic. It's God's idea. Sexuality, God's idea. Marriage, God's idea. God puts them together. And I, I, I do kids with students about this. But it's not like God put them together, said, here's your wife, Adam. And then got confused when they started doing things. It's not like God was like, 
Adam, meet Eve. Eve, this is your husband. You guys can be friends. Whoa. What are you guys doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. This was God's idea. This was God's purpose. He, he did this. You know, he put this together. He brought them together in this context. Okay? Got to go fast. I'm talking way too slow. Got to go fast. So he says that he brought her to the man. Then the, man's, then the man said, this is the last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. So bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I would say this, before the fall in the first union, which was as close to perfect, it was at least fully innocent. It was at a, a place of innocence. There was no wrongdoing. In that relationship, there was a one flesh nature of marriage. Well, that carried through the curse, the fall, the curse, right till today. Jesus quotes verse 24 in Mark chapter 10 when he's talking about marriage. And he says, man leaves his mama, holds fast to his wife. Some of you, I don't know. Some of you might need to leave your mama a little more. Some of you are still consummate mama's boys. You need to leave your mama, hold fast to your wife. That's your wife. She ain't your mama. She's your wife. She is a helper corresponding to you. It's different than your mama. So we need to cut the umbilical cord. I just feel like I need to say that tonight. Okay? God's purpose in marriage is that a man would leave his mother and father and independently become a husband. Separate from, and that doesn't mean he severs ties. doesn't mean he doesn't have a relationship. My stepdad has spent the whole week staying with us because he's working on my sister's house. And they're doing, he's building cabinets. He lives an hour or so from here. So he's just been working late and staying at our house. We are connected as a family. I love that. But you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And if, you, and if it's not you, you know people. You know what I'm talking about. And one of the most damaging things, and we've got to say this because it's in the text. We've got to say this because it's in the text. I'm not going to throw stuff in here like, oh, right here, I think it would be great to talk about this. No, right here it would be great to talk about what Scripture says. That a man leaves his mother. That he doesn't text her all day and call her every time something goes wrong and run to her when there's a spat or something's needing to be worked out. But that he becomes a leader Men are created by God to lead, period. It's, it's not that, I think that a lot of times people think, well, some men have strong gifts of leadership and some don't. Well, yeah, that's true. And men that are gifted as leaders are going to be in leadership roles in, in corporation or business or ministry, whatever, military, whatever. And some women have strong gifts of leadership and they're going to be in positions of leadership and they're going to lead in their jobs and and, and God gives people to lead. But when it comes to the way God put a man together, his purpose is that man would pastor, shepherd, and lead his family. That's God's design. It's God's design. So he says, you're going to leave. And what's the old rhyme? Leave and cleave, right? Leave and cleave. Leave home and then hold fast to his wife and become a leader. Become a leader. So Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They're naked and they're not ashamed. That's interesting. So we'll talk about this for just a minute. 
I want to park on verse 24 or 25 and look at just a couple of ideas that will hopefully challenge you to at least start thinking. And here's the thing this weekend. As we've prayed for this weekend, I know as I've prayed for this weekend, I have not prayed that the messages would be what profoundly changes you. I've prayed that the Holy Spirit of God would meet you guys here. And whether it's through conversation with one another, with other couples, some of you don't know anybody else in the room, but that God this weekend would meet you here and would restore or repair or renew or refresh your marriage or all the above. That there would be something different about that relationship when you leave from here. And I think there are some deep, heavy principles that I'm going to try to convey to you in these last two verses. And this is what I'm intimidated about because I don't even know how I'm going to be able to articulate this. I've got a bunch of notes. I'll probably just read a lot, okay? But I want to really try to articulate this because this has been this has been wowing me today. It's been wowing me all day. Because men, and I'm going to say this. Y'all, I'm, I'm going to hammer the men a lot. I am. Because it needs... There needs to be change culturally here. There needs to be change culturally. And men will never be the leaders they need to be if they are not immersed in the Word of God. And listen to me, under its authority and its influence. Not, I know the Bible. Not, I've been a Sunday school teacher for 30 years. I know Scripture. Not, I grew up in such and such or I have this education. Not that we know the Bible in the sense that we kind of have a mastery over the Bible, but that we are immersed in it, broken by it, humbled by it, squished and squeezed by it daily. And this today has wowed me all day. I listened to a sermon on Genesis uh, 2 this morning, and it just and, and it started the wheels turning. They're not ashamed. Why are they not ashamed? Well, a couple of reasons. A couple of reasons, I think. First one, well, because they got perfect bodies. <laughs> Everything's good. God said it, you know. Nothing to be ashamed of here. You know, eight-pack Adam over there. You got, and, and, and remember, at the end of chapter 1, it said, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Uh, you know, so God's saying, this is all good. So, that, I mean, they're perfect bodies. Okay? Some of you ladies are like, I remember that. Two decades ago. Last time I saw that, about 19 and a half years ago. Because about six months in, he was leaving and cleaving good to go to cornbread and pinto beans, you know. So, so but there, so there's, but there's no doubt there's a, there's a perfection to the physical side. And let me say this. It's not just that there was perfection physically in the physical makeup. Okay, there was perfection in the total physical realm. So there was emotional perfection. You understand? There was no clinginess, no neediness, no insecurity. There was a physical attraction, a physical perfection. So you understand what I'm saying? It wasn't just, oh, she's hot. Oh, he looks good. It was perfection in the relationship because there's no sin. There's a flawlessness. And so there is definitely on the physical side of things, there is perfection at this point. It's perfection. So they're, they're not ashamed to be, in, I mean, absolutely exposed. But then, this, you know, to take it to that next level and to say, well, with that, with that, it's because they're wrapped in a covenantal love for one another. And in that covenantal love that God has ordained, orchestrated, and sealed, there is absolute security. There is no treason. There is no jealousy. There's no resentment. There's no bitterness. There's perfection. 
So on the physical level, yeah, everything looks good. Spiritual level, everything looks good. And what happens is, in our marriages, we try to make the first thing sustain the second thing. Usually in the first realm or first phase, don't we? Like, you know, when you're dating, you look back, you're like, she looked good. I'm going I'm to ask her out. <laughs> she looked good. You know, so, you know, at first, there's definitely a strong physical flavor to, to you know, to the relationship. You know, it's like, well, she looked good. You know. But y'all know, that don't, that don't last. Hair start, starts falling out and belly start, you know, everybody starts muffin topping it. And, you know, it's like... <laughs> But so the first phase, that's cool. Like it's cool. Man, that one got somebody. Somebody don't puke. Don't puke the veal. So the physical is there. Like in a, and some of you, I mean, honestly, I'm not. I don't know a lot of your situations, but honestly, a lot of us, a lot of you, a lot of us, a lot of you guys, the initial phase of your relationship was purely physical. I mean, you lied to yourself and said, "Oh, it's I'm in love." I mean, like Kahuna said in the introduction tonight, I was in love. Well, I realized I wasn't in love. I didn't know about love. When I was liking what I was seeing, maybe I was liking what I was getting. And there was a physical nature to the relationship that, listen, it's like, it's like when you go down a hill on a bicycle and you're coasting and you hit flat ground, you coast for a long time. And in the, and, and in the first phase of relationship, a lot of times the physical sustains the spiritual until, you know, you're done coasting. You can only coast on that for so far. And, and they're, they're not ashamed of each other right here because it's deeper than a physical attraction. Don't, there's no doubt in my mind, Adam was insanely attracted to his wife. Insanely attracted to his wife. I mean, I think probably as much as any of us could ever imagine, this man was like, oh, wow. I mean, like, He's never seen anything like this. There's no comparison. Talk about not having any comparison for your wife, man. Imagine this. She's the one. That's it. That's it. But what made them most unashamed was the fact that their relationship was sustained by and wrapped in a covenantal love. How do we know this? Well, the order of the last two verses. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh covenant. One flesh. That's covenant. That's covenant. What is, what is the gospel? What is salvation? What is the work of regeneration? It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. One flesh in that sense, spiritually. That's what we're representing. It is a covenantal bond that takes place. They become one flesh. They are, they are bound together by covenantal love that God has brought her here, ordained this, and then sealed this in his love for them. And in that sense, it's covenantal. That's why they're not ashamed, y'all. Listen, that's why they're not ashamed. What does the scripture say in Romans 8, 1? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. What does that have to do with this? I'll tell you what it has to do with this. Everything. Everything. Because in this covenantal relationship at this point, there has been no broken trust. There's been no sin committed. They are fully satisfied in who Christ has created them to be as husband and wife. And it is way, way far, far beyond the physical. And you know what else is far beyond? Anybody rescuing anybody from anything else. Because neither one of them's got baggage. Eve's not going, oh, Adam, finally, a man that can fulfill my needs. Because all the other 
moosing. There's no, you understand what I'm saying? It's because you, this is the purest sense of marriage. There, there is no more pure picture of marriage other than what marriage is representing, which is Christ and the church, than in Genesis 2. Because in this covenant, there is total satisfaction, not just physically, but much deeper than that spiritually, because there's no need to be fulfilled, save the need that God is fulfilling in each of them. Because they have perfect fellowship with the Father. So their covenant is covenantal love between them and the Father vertically and then covenantal love between the two of them horizontally. And it's sealed in perfection because it's sealed in the love of the Father. And so in this, stay with me. This is where, this is what's been blowing my mind all day. So in this covenant relationship, there is total unashamedness because there's nothing to be ashamed of because everybody's totally exposed emotionally and spiritually and everybody's totally having their needs met by God and being used in each other's lives by God. And there's no shame. There's no shame. And then, so then I'm going, okay. So when they, when they sin the next chapter in Genesis three, and one of the first things they notice is that they don't have any clothes on. I'm going like, well, that surely that was obvious before, you know, I mean, other, other than the fact that there's nobody to compare, you know, it's not like, well, I've seen other humans and they wear clothes. But, I mean, honestly, they had to have noticed. They're naked. And all of a sudden they realize it. They realize it. And what do they do? They make fig leaves. You know, the picture is always like a little fig leaf bikini. I think them suckers were wrapping, like bubble wrapping each other in leaves and vines. Trying to hide it, trying to hide it, trying to hide it. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. We're going to really get into what, what was going on in that act of physically covering themselves and the spiritual correlation. We'll talk about that tomorrow night. But here's what I want to leave you with tonight. In, in this thought of naked and unashamed versus one of the first things they noticed after sin is that now we're naked, is this. Because the moment they sinned, the moment they sinned, they could no longer trust God? No. They could no longer trust one another. So now, every insecurity, every insufficiency, every identity crisis that floods into my life because of my sin in that moment, if I'm Adam, is now taken out on my wife. She she becomes untrustworthy and she becomes the source of my problems. And she becomes, and what does he say when God comes to him? The woman you gave me, I've got that written in my Bible. I about scrubbed a hole in that part of the page. Don't ever do this. Like Adam, what in the, the woman you gave me, are you serious? Because the moment that sin comes into their lives individually, she's no longer trustworthy. He's no longer trustworthy. And here's why. I wrote it down. Okay, so, all right, let me review what I just said then. Okay, so there, there's two things. Number one, um, the perfect body thing, right? So there's no shame because there's a perfection there physically. And then number two, which is the main reason, they could be free from shame because the covenantal love that God's given them is full, 
Okay, it's fulfilling, it's satisfying, it's secure. They're secure in their relationship with God, so it's easy to be secure in their relationship with their spouse, their mate. Same thing now, really. You're secure in your relationship with Christ, you're going to be fine in your relationship with your mate. The problem is not, 99% of the time, the problem is not the lack of security between me and my wife or between her and her husband. Or It's here, it's horizontal. I'm sorry, what's this? It's vertical. Horizontal means horizon. You see the horizon. I remember that sixth grade. Vertical. Vertical. That's, the, that's where the insecurity comes from. And most of those insecurities are a result of neglect. Neglect the Word of God and neglect worship and neglect time in prayer. I've been wearing this mess all day. They could be free from shame because the covenantal love of God is full and satisfying. When I, listen, when I'm dealing with insecurities in my life, especially, it's because of this relationship. If I press into Christ, if I press into Scripture, if I press into the Word of God, this relationship is only going to grow more into the image of Christ. So, a couple of thoughts then. Either I'm perfect and there's, so there's no need to be ashamed. So now I'm talking first person Adam. So either Adam doesn't need to be ashamed because he's perfect. Okay, so either he's unashamed because he's perfect and there's, it's like, I'm perfect. So I don't have to be ashamed. Because if you were perfect, none of us have ever imagined, maybe some of you may have that ego, but probably not. I mean, not any of us have ever thought we're perfect, you know. So Adam is either thinking, I'm perfect. So there's no need to be ashamed. And he's thinking, I'm perfect. I don't have to be ashamed. Or... I am imperfect, but I do not have to fear disapproval from my spouse because my spouse is loving me with covenant love, which is gracious in nature. So what happens is the fact that there's no shame, honestly, is defined by the fact that covenantal love is gracious by nature. And so there's no, when Adam looks at his wife, there's no thought that she's going to extend anything other than the grace of the Father to him. And when our marriages are in disarray, and when our relationships are broken and disheveled, it's because, it's because we are not giving covenantal, grace-giving love to our spouse. And we're not expecting to then receive that. Rather, what's happening is what happened with Adam and Eve. The moment they sin, here's what happens. Two things. She becomes, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going from Adam's perspective, but this works both ways. Okay, this works both ways. I'm a dude, I'm going from Adam's perspective. I ain't doing the Eve thing, okay? That would just be weird. You know, as, as a woman, I'm looking at my husband, I would have a hard time with that. So going from Adam, that's the only reason we're doing it this way, okay? He's looking at his wife. She is no longer trustworthy, so that relationship has got a problem. Okay? You with me? And the easy thing to do in that relationship is to say, she's not trustworthy. That's what he does. But now watch this. This has been hammering me today. I'm, I'm wrecked by this. I'm so convicted of this. But then he is no longer trustworthy. In fact, he is defiled and unworthy. And his problem is vertical. But he can't point this finger. Because God has not failed. God has not made a mistake. God cannot be tempted by evil. Neither does he tempt any man. But each man is dragged away by his own lust and enticed, James says. 
So now I'm, I'm unworthy and defiled. I'm unworthy and defiled, and she's not trustworthy. There's the stress. There's the strain. There's the friction. And the problem in, in, in his relationship at this point is what's happened between him and God. And that's been the problem in marriages ever since. Because if I'm in this covenant, honoring the Lord, pressing into the Word of God, submitting to Christ daily, then this one's going to take care of itself. It's going to take care of itself. So he says this, or my notes say this. So either I'm flawless and I don't have to be ashamed. Well, I ain't flawless. So I'm, I'm ashamed. Is it not true that in, think hard, you have to think hard on this one because you may have stacked up so much garbage against your spouse for so long that it's hard to think this way. Is it not true that you are not unashamed in your relationship? You have shame. You have insecurities. You have worries. You have doubts. You have fears. Some of them may be so far to the point that now it's turned into just resentment and it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it masquerades in a different light. It's not, oh, I'm ashamed towards her. But it's like, no, I resent her. Well, that's rooted in your shame. That's what that's rooted in. That's what that's rooted in. Because Christ loves a bride who is faithless. And you look in the Old Testament relationship between Christ and the church, which was Israel, and they leave and he woos them back. And they leave and he woos them back. And they leave and he woos them back. And you're ashamed because you can't love like that. And I'm ashamed because I can't love like that. But the covenantal love of Christ in my life can and will love like that in that covenant. So either I'm flawless, and that ended in Genesis 3, or I'm shameless because covenant love is more powerful than my imperfections. It seems so simplistic, but what we need to understand if our marriages are to be anything from saved and salvaged to enriched to glorious is understand that covenant love is so much greater than the imperfections of your spouse. But the problem is, in my life and in most of our lives, we look at the imperfections of our spouse and we say, how can I fix that? Rather than, how can I fix this and love that in spite of this and in spite of that? How do I love like Christ loves? You start by stop pointing at your spouse's imperfections. And, you know, this, is, this would be hard. I don't, I'm a, maybe I'm making a wrong assumption to assume that everybody here is a believer. This, would be, this, is, it's, this is totally different when one person is not a believer. It's totally different. And we're not going there tonight. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. If you're married and, and you're here tonight, your spouse is not a believer. And God will give you instruction on how to love that unbelieving spouse. But for two professing believers, that's what this is about. It's that the flaws and imperfections... I love that person in spite of those. And those don't become outlets for my own insecurities and frustrations. And I don't look at my spouse and say, I wish she wasn't like this. I wish she would do this differently. I wish she would do this better. I wish she would not say this all the time. But rather, I look at it and I say, what can I do to serve her? Always. Always serve her. Not serve me. It's not about me. And none of us have got this nailed. None of us. This, this is kicking my tail. Please understand, I'm not preaching tonight from my own authority. Please understand that. I'm preaching it from my own conviction and the authority of the Word of God. 
covenantal love overcomes imperfections and flaws in that spouse. Marriage is for the glory of God. Covenantal love. We press into Christ and we worship Christ in that covenantal relationship and it's going to affect everything about our marriage. And I'd encourage you with this. Maybe you're at a point in your marriage where you feel like you're so far gone, so far down the road of destruction relationally. Understand this. The covenantal love that binds you together, it ain't gone nowhere. That's bad English, I know. Some of y'all going to have to work through it with me, all right? It hasn't. The day you got married, the covenantal love that Christ sealed your marriage in has not even loosened a pinky finger on the grip of the covenant that he has. It's as secure as the covenant of your salvation because that's what it represents in mirrors. And whatever's loose is loose inside the hand of God in your relationship with your spouse. That covenant is bound tight. It's bound tight. First step is just trusting that, believing that, and knowing that, that God loves you through your spouse and vice versa. The covenantal love that's bigger than his or her flaws and imperfections. We're going to pick up right there tomorrow. We're going to stop there. We're going to pick right up there tomorrow. So here's what we're going to do. One of the things I've prayed for you guys this week, we've prayed that you'd be able to just worship. Spirit and You don't have to worry about going, running to the nursery, you know, making sure your kid hadn't, you know, beat another kid up. You don't have to worry about, oh, I wonder if the youth pastor is going to complain this week about our kid. You know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You can just worship. We're going to worship together. We're going to sing. And we're just going to worship in song. And then when we're done, you guys are just going to have the evening. I want this to be a, a big part of this weekend. It's just going to be, you're just, you get to be, a, I, I mean, what a cool opportunity. Some of you hadn't had a, a weekend, just the two of you, in months or even years. And now it's just like, <laughs> you've, been, you've been wiping up fat toddler poop for, you know, and, 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 and running kids to soccer practice and football practice and basketball practice. And it's like, no, uh-uh. Pause. Enjoy that. Enjoy it. And be served. We want to serve you while you're here. And worship without any inhibition. And we'll worship together. We're going to close with a time of song. Okay? Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, as we move into this weekend and, and kind of get, get things rolling, I pray that we would understand that there is no... Uh, we, we don't have the capability in and of ourselves to even grasp the depth of your covenant of love towards us. And, and I know that for me, this is, this has really been huge today and this week. Um, but for, for, for this weekend, I pray that even whether it's articulated clearly or not, that the reality that your love is covenantal and that your plan for Adam and Eve never changed when they so damaged one another. And that for those couples here tonight and this weekend, your plan and purpose for them is sealed in the covenant of their marriage. No matter how bad they've hurt one another, no matter where they've gone or what they've done, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And your desire is restoration for them. And I pray that there would be healing that takes place. And I pray that tonight we would worship in spirit and in truth as husbands and wives, to be able to worship together. I pray that for so many of these men that maybe for the first time they would break loose and just worship you. 
in the presence of their wives. Some, some of us don't even know what it looks like for our spouse to really worship. God, help us. Help us understand your covenantal love to us so that we might understand our love for one another. I pray right now that you'd move in, in our midst by your